0: Uh, We're going to be starting a new series. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter chapter 13, but also chapter 9. Uh, We're going to be starting in chapter 9, verse 51. Uh, Before that, just a note about what our new series will be about. Uh, It's called um, Being Formed. And we're going to be looking at some of the habits that we can make in our own lives to ensure that we are being formed as Christ-centered people in the midst of a world that has so many different ways of trying to form us in other ways. And today's title is, uh, What is Your Manure? And it will look at what's at the, the center of this uh, formation. Let's begin our readings with uh, first. Uh, Luke 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, Do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Uh, Luke 13, verses 6 to 9. This is the passage that we'll be focusing on. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for the fruit on it, but did not find any. So he went to the man who took care of the vineyard. For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. And I'll I'll dig around it, fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, The past two years, Elisa and I have tried our hand in gardening with varied results. Uh, The first year was a wild success. We built this garden and we filled it with all sorts of good compost, and, and it grew. And we thought we were naturals. We thought this was going to be easy. So the next year, we did the same thing, planted the seeds at the same time in the different sort of places. But it didn't work out at all the way that the first year did. Now, when we tried to figure out why this was, it kind of it came down really to one word, Compost. One year, we used good, healthy, live compost. The next year, we used something that we thought was compost, but was really just kind of dark dirt. Uh, It didn't really have anything to it that would feed the plants. Now, I know the word compost mostly through my compost bin... Uh, It doesn't have a good reputation there. It's just the smelly thing that I bring into another bin and then put at the side of the road so that I don't have to pay attention to it anymore. So I thought, um, at least in preparation for this Sunday, I would learn a little bit more about compost. I did some digging, did some calls with others in the church that know a little bit more than me, and, and found some stuff online, and this is what I've discovered. Compost is organic materials... Uh, When you put them together, so I got some banana peels there, some apples, those are supposed to be carrots, Uh, and over time, uh, there's some oxidization that happens, but more important than that, we have these other things, little fungi, microbes, and invertebrates, and they feast on this. These tiny organisms are what make the stink. Um, but what happens, this happens mostly in the second stage where other little creatures called thermophiles take over and, and they transfer the carbon into energy and they make it really warm and the temperature actually goes up to about 150 degrees, which, like, I don't care who you are, that is interesting. <laughs> that is fascinating stuff. You just put food somewhere and it, it will steam. It gets so warm. Um, anyways, Eventually, what they're feasting on runs out, and we get these other little microorganisms take over, and that leads to this final stage of compost. And what's left is the stuff that plants dream of. It's a party in there. You can see they're wearing their little party hats as they're feasting on there. And these little creatures are what are helping make the soil so fertile. Oh, here's the plant dreaming of just the, how rich and great that soil will be. And that's what we had in our first garden. It was a party. These tiny creatures helping feed the plants. And if you get nothing else out of that story, here's one sentence to try summarize it up. Compost is a life-filled substance, invisibly and slowly offering, or life-filled substance, invisibly and slowly offering life-giving nourishment to whatever it is planted in. Compost is a life-filled substance that's invisible at least to the eye in the way that it's offering life-giving nourishment. I find it interesting uh, when Jesus uh, is telling stories and teaching about who God is, how often he turns towards images of farming and of agriculture, Whether it's planting seeds or or stories of someone taking care of a vine, or it's Jesus as the vine himself with the the vine dresser um, taking care, there's constantly these images from the world that Jesus takes to draw on a bigger idea. And, And in this story in particular, fertilizer works its way to the forefront, And the recorded stories of Jesus don't rely on these long philosophical words or thoughts. They're in these short stories that that were intended. They're they're made to help us think about something. Uh, That's basically, we call them parables. And that's basically what parables are. Uh, Parables are these short stories that take ordinary things in the world that are used to then... Um, Teach us something true about God and His kingdom. Now, parables cut against the grain. Uh, Often we prize a a message for its clarity. If someone is able to take something and, and simplify it so that at the end you don't have any questions, then they did. Uh, The easier it is to understand exactly what that one part of the message is, the better the speaker did. However, Jesus' stories appear to have another, another point in mind. Rather than resolving questions, his stories actually open up more questions, or at least different questions. Stories, while teaching a point, leave much up for interpretation the listeners actually have work to do after the story is told. It's getting them to think what does this say about who God is? What does this actually say about what God's kingdom is like? They had to mull it over to make sense of it. On this particular occasion, Jesus is telling a story that involves manure or fertilizer, kind of like this compost. Uh, in your NIV translations, it says fertilizer. Uh, And in the ESV, it will say manure, that the NIV basically is just doing some creative translating there, uh, making sure that we know that the purpose of the manure is to be uh, a fertilizer. And regardless, it's it's a key ingredient in the story here. Manure is what causes this slow change uh, to one of the subjects of the story, the, the fig tree that's not bearing fruit. There are two things about the story that I want to highlight. Uh, The first takes a short break from the manure image, uh, but focuses instead on the timeline. This is a grace-filled timeline in the story. Uh, We like things to go quickly. Um, We like to see change in the quickest possible ways. And this story allows for slow change. Let's just read verses 7 and 8 again. Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and put on manure. From an economical standpoint, uh, that the the. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, you you want to cut down the tree that's not producing any fruit. It's, it's taking up soil that could otherwise go towards something that's fruitful. It's, it's, it's the quick and the easy solution here. Don't waste the ground. A- a- and there's a link here between cutting down and judgment in the story. That, 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 that cutting down something is the dismissing of something. Uh, Before it's had its time, it's not waiting to give others this grace filled timeline. Now, to help illustrate this, we can go back to the other story that we read uh, from Luke chapter 9, where Jesus sent his disciples ahead of him to see if there was a place where he could stay in a Samaritan village. And when that village rejected their uh, invitation, or didn't extend hospitality, uh, James and John said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Now, that might sound like a bit of a harsh response, um, but it, it deserves a little bit more context here. These people, the the Samaritans, have been in a a rough relationship. This isn't just three years of unfruitfulness uh, from the standpoint of the disciples. This is a 700-year feud uh, between the Samaritans and the rest of Israel. And their rejection of Jesus is intentional. They know who Jesus is. They are sent ahead and they're saying, will you welcome Jesus as he comes to Jerusalem? And they said, well, if he's going to Jerusalem, we're not going to allow him in. And it's rejection of someone that they saw to be a prophet at the very least. And, and the disciples being Bible-steeped people, think back to the stories of Elijah in King Second Kings chapter 1, where people that were less than hospitable to Elijah, uh, Elijah had called fire down from heaven, and the disciples are looking at Jesus, and they're thinking, well, well here's the time. This could be a time that, that Jesus can finally show his judgment. Um, he, he's kind of like the, the prophets of old in, in, in the mindset here. They thought, perhaps um, he doesn't always strut around with firepower, but it's dormant and it's waiting. They're eager to see where Jesus will bring out the real stuff. Now is the time that we can bring fire from heaven. Shall shall we cut them down, in other words? Uh, It's it's words of judgment that their time is done, uh, but Jesus gives grace in the midst of it. The words "cut cut it down also echo another place in Luke. When we get into the later chapters, we hear an echo of the people who after um, one week after hearing the story, they were yelling, crucify him. Words of judgment. Words, words from the human heart of, of cut this one down. It's, it's words of a quick fix. Get rid of him. He is not the Messiah that we expected. Cut him down. Now this lies in contrast to, to the grace that we find in Christ. So back to the Luke 9 passage. In the midst of a lack of hospitality, Jesus does not call down fire from heaven, but he rebukes the disciples. Jesus does not immediately step in and judge everyone against him. He simply turns to the other village instead. In a context where people were quick to judge, we have a God who is slow to anger and gives time to see who he is. It is a grace filled timeline. Uh, significantly, there's this contrast between the human heart that can condemn and the divine who offers grace. And it reminds me of another passage um, in the New Testament in Second Peter 3, verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slow about his promise... As some think of slowness, but he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. It's a passage that points towards this desire to come to repentance, that God is patient enough with us to act in ways that to us might seem slow. In closer connection to the the parable that we just read in Luke chapter 13, we have Jesus' words from the cross. Um, In Luke 23, he says, Father, forgive them. Now, it might not come out very clearly when you're looking at verse 13, but Father, forgive them. The word forgive is the same word that is in our passage, which is translated, let it alone. Uh, Let it alone, and Father, forgive them. In the midst of their sin, in the midst of their guilt, let them alone, do not have them be cut down. Uh, I think this is significant for several reasons. One of them is that Jesus is not only teaching a grace-filled timeline, but he is living it and showing it to us. He advocates the same words of graciousness on the cross itself. Uh, Luke 13 is not just a fair-weather preacher telling stories that are meaningless and about fertilizer. He stands between the master's rightful claims towards judgment and fruitlessness and says, let it alone Leave it another year. The advocate, the the one who speaks on our behalf, uh, that that is who Christ is revealing himself to be. And there's also a a missional application to this uh, in the revealing of the human heart. Uh, Perhaps we are the ones that are quick to exclude. We think that God cannot possibly work with this type of people or, or this group of people. We've tried working with them already. Uh, they're not getting it. They're, they're, they're a lost cause, whatever it is. Jesus tells a story of a tree that remained fruitless for three years, yet the gardener pleads to give it another year. Uh, what would happen if we went to the roots of the deeper causes of fruitlessness and patiently sought to partner with what God is doing? What if the gardener is calling us to that same patience ourselves? Second, I want to focus on the image of fertilizer. And I want us to take some time to apply that image to ourselves. This isn't just something for others to give us grace with others, but also ourselves. To look at the image of how a year in soil might be a transformative experience also is an image of time. Mostly, I want us to give us an inventory. How, How is our spiritual soil? Is it rich? Is it full of these life-giving things? Are we giving ourselves time in nutrient-rich grounds? I remember coming across an article. uh, I don't remember who it was by. Otherwise, I could possibly give them credit. uh, But it mentioned that, that medication for depression takes about six weeks for it to fully kick in. It takes six weeks for the drugs to work their way into the system, for bodies to respond in positive ways, to produce the healthy amounts of the right stuff, and for things to balance out. It takes six weeks to push through. Uh, People have to commit to something there. It's it's a time-filled process. Do we have the same type of patience with things like our prayer lives? Do we have that same type of perseverance? So often we try something for a week, or maybe two, and and then after a couple weeks we find that we're not doing it, and we think, well, that that just wasn't for us. Uh, Far too often I think that the conclusion is given too hastily, as though we know ourselves so well that we can discern whether the practice is going to be life giving over the span of a year. Do we have that commitment of six weeks? Do we see the benefits of the image of a year in dwelling in rich soils? What sorts of practices can we adapt? Can we, adapt, can we be adapting today and committing ourselves to for a long term? And I say this with the caution of trusting that we have rich practices. Um, pointing back towards uh, Elisa and I and, and the garden that we had the second year, we thought we were adding some great stuff and it just ended up being basically fluff. Uh, stuff that didn't help in producing fruit. If we're feeling fruitless, perhaps we need to be able to evaluate our devotional habits, our prayer lives, the way that we worship as households, the way that we attend to our services. Are these practices that we are committed to in order to contribute to a balanced diet for our spiritual lives? Do we even see that as a thing where, where our spiritual lives require a diet of, of several different things that, that we can't be contented with just the a, a same formula? I think the image of manure is particularly appropriate here. Jesus is cho- choosing something that in today's society, in today's economies, could be overlooked. Some might consider it garbage or refuge, just that that smelly thing that we take out to the road and leave it there for someone else to deal with uh, because our our chemicals, our technology can bring the ultimate solutions for us. In contrast to those quick fixes, uh, Eugene Peterson has uh, this quote, but the observant and wise know that this apparently dead and despised waste is teeming with numerous microorganisms and the things needed for life. Enzymes, minerals, nutrients, and energy sources. It's the stuff of resurrection. It's the stuff that that brings life in places that many assume to be dead. When asked if they should cut down the tree that's not producing fruit, the vine dresser says, Sir, Let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put manure. Now I'm sure um, many of you have different devotional practices mapped out. Uh, I've seen on posts on social media people starting off the year uh, with the plans of of reading the Bible throughout the year. And and if you're amongst those people, I encourage you in, in your journey ahead uh, and I want to bring a reminder or, or a call back to a couple of Sundays ago where we were encouraged, uh, perhaps if you didn't have one of those plans, uh, to take up one of the Gospels and read through it yourselves. Uh, this is a, a second nudge in that direction. Um, have you taken that opportunity to open up one of the Gospels, to dwell in the stories of Jesus, to dwell with Christ and see what these words have to say with, or to us? Now, maybe uh, you're like me and you don't actually like reading that much. Uh, and like at the end of a day or at the beginning of a day, you don't want to start off with reading before the work that you have or to finish afterwards. It just takes too much energy. Uh, I have found it helpful to adapt the practice of listening to Scripture. And rather than uh, making someone read it to me, um, I've actually found technology to be helpful in this case. Uh, I have my phone read the Bible to me. And I started doing this with the ESV uh, app. It was the first one that I could find. And um, it could re- I could download parts of it, and that was really handy. Uh, since then, I've started to move on to the UVision app, Uh, because it had more translations available, and I've actually made uh, a link available, this is on our website, Uh, if you don't want to research uh, what app could be best, um, you can find one there, and I'm sure there's many others out there, the the brand isn't the point, The, the fact is that there are free options out there, uh, to have the Bible listen to, us, or that we can listen to the Bible in whatever translation we want. Uh, there's even different voices. I like the NLT guy, uh, but you can report back on which one you find your favorite. And the fact that you can download it is an added bonus. Like, I can listen to the Bible in the car or while I'm going for a walk or in my devotional times. Um, this is something that I just want to encourage to to check out and see if this is something that we can add to our repertoire of practices if we don't have something like that already. Um, Also if you have a different app. Um, that is better than the ones, I haven't d- done uh, sufficient digging, so, so let me know. Um, I had a conversation with a pastor this week who's using a scripture memory app, and I'm planning on testing that out over the next couple of weeks to try increase my, my memory of scripture. So this is a journey that I'm on, and I invite um, commentary, uh, I invite anyone to give suggestions of, of how we can be doing this well as a community. Uh, to finish, these practices, uh, listening to scripture, spending time in prayer, being attentive as a worshiping community, these are things that we commit to for a time. We give ourselves seasons to prepare for fruitfulness. We want to see things quickly. But it takes time for things to sink in. It takes time for us to be able to absorb what needs to be absorbed. What specific practices might we be able to take up to bring nutrients into the soil? Uh, Perhaps we feel like there are places in our lives where the the, the soil's eroded, uh, that our faith practices have eroded over time. One of the calls in the story is to invest ourselves into the slow process of allowing the gardener to do his work. To summarize much of what I've said, I want to end with a quote uh, followed by a time of, of silent reflection, and then have the prayer. The quote is from Eugene Peterson, who in commenting on the passage has this to say. Manure is not a quick fix. It has no immediate results. It is going to take a long time to see if it makes any difference. If it is results we are after, chopping down a tree is just the thing. Clear the ground and make ready for a fresh start. Spreading manure is not as quick as a fresh start. It is neither dramatic nor glamorous, Manure is a slow solution. When it comes to doing something about what is wrong in the world, Jesus is best known for his fondness, for the tiny, the invisible, the quiet, the slow, the yeast, salt, seeds, and manure. What is your manure How might the gardener be working in you? Let's pray. Lord, sustain us in ways that we may grow in the slow, imperceptible ways that your kingdom often grows. Give us imaginations that can see the movement towards fruitfulness Give us the patience to be steeped in you, in your word, that over time we may be fruit bearing people. Amen.